So when you tire of flat screen images of actors who aren't there Playing parts in shows made far away and finished long ago Trade the remote for the near Leave your couch and travel here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Next Best Theater. I'm your host, Michael Schwartz, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Dan Bayer. Hello, hello. Casey Lee Clark. Wow. And Cody Derricks. That's me. We are recording not even 24 hours after the 73rd Annual Tony Awards were broadcast on CBS. By now, we're sure all of you listeners know about the winners and what happened during the telecast. But we're going to spend this episode diving into the show itself and what we thought of it. What we liked, what we didn't, the performances, the speeches, James Corden, everything about it. So we're just going to spend this time talking about what we saw and what happened. It's all going to be pretty open. Hopefully an encouraging conversation for anyone who plans this stuff. You know, maybe we're going to have such a good idea that they try to use it next year. (laughs) Regardless, we hope to have a good time. We hope you enjoy listening to what we thought of the Tony Awards. My hope is to keep this episode brief but fulfilling. So how about we just dive right into it, everyone? Yeah. So, Sounds good? great. Let's and we're just do gonna be it. snappy tonight. Uh, Tony Awards, they usually, I think they took a thing from the Oscar playbook, or the Oscars took a thing from their playbook almost last year, where they do categories outside of the main show. Well, they've always done that at the Tony. Yeah, they've done this for years. Right, I, I'm saying Oscar got the inspiration from them. Oh, oh, back oh, down. Oh. So, uh, and this year was no different. We had a handful of categories, I think 10, that were announced before the show went live at 8 o'clock. And we saw little snippets of them during the shows, like when they came back from commercial breaks. They said, so-and-so won the award for so-and-so earlier t- tonight. And just to go through them very quickly, these are tech awards. A lot of them were expected. But please feel free to stop me if something shocking happened here that we should dive into. You know, I'm open for any discussion. So uh, best book of a musical went to Tootsie. I know some of us had predicted the prompt, this some of us Hades was, Town. Having seen Tootsie, this was shocking. See, it wasn't shocking to me because at that point, Hades Town um, had already won four, so I was like kind of making sense of my Hades Town prediction, but at the same time, it was what everybody else was predict- predicting, so it wasn't too much of a shock to me. I'm yeah. just saying, like, having seen the show, I don't oh. understand well, the, yeah, that's a different the, story. The, the accolades for the book. Honestly, like the, I, I love the movie Tootsie. I think that I'll, the idea behind it, you know, it, it, it's good and in, for some of the show is very well done. But I think that the uh, reconfiguring it to take place in the present day in the theater does not do anything for the story. If anything, it actually makes it worse. And I thought a lot of the theatrical satire was like at least a decade out of date. Like I found it actively unfunny. I I don't know. I maybe I'm the cheese that stands alone on this one, but like I I was shocked that it won the Tony for the book. I really this was, was like the opposite of last year when we all predicted Mean Girls to win, and then it went to the show that swept the band's visit. Except right, for which me. is why I predicted Hades Town. <laughs> right, yeah, so that's exactly too. why I was thinking Hades Town too. Uh, the prom sort of was in the middle. People seemed to really like that show, but there wasn't enough love for it to all come together. Mm. So yeah, you know, Tootsie's where it went. You know, that's 
it, it's typical of shows that win here, with the exception of something like the band's visit last year. So not a big surprise, just maybe a little surprising based on what we thought was going to be a huge sweep for Hades Town. And still really was a big sweep for Hades Town. Oh, yeah. They won oh, eight. Absolutely. Eight <laughs> nominations, eight awards is nothing to sneeze at. Right, eight wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, some people thought it would take, I don't, know, I don't know, 12 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But regardless, okay, best book of a musical, Tootsie. Next category, best choreography went to Ain't Too Proud. Dan has thoughts. Well on, Dan. And I know this because <laughs> I watched it with him. <laughs> I, I almost feel bad because I haven't seen the full show of Ain't Too Proud yet, but... Uh, let me just like I think that a lot of people would agree that after seeing the numbers performed later in the show that it <laughs> the thing is is that the choreography in Temptations A Too Proud is like it's a really good like recreation of the type of choreography that the Temptations did. However, there's a difference between great dancing and performing and great choreography and i think that this one because of the amazing energy and performance that those dancers put into it as opposed to kiss me kate which had like legit amazing choreography like the likes of which like we haven't really seen before i mean for god's sakes corbin blue danced tap danced upside down on the ceiling for nothing corbin blue invented dance and they <laughs> still didn't give them the tony <laughs> and it was all for nothing so my and question like, then is having not seen kiss me kate uh the things you're describing and also what i saw in the two darn hot number actually kind of sound like just most choreography not in service of the story, you know what I mean? Which doesn't necessarily mean best choreography, but it doesn't seem like uh, the numbers it, in Kiss Me Kate, like, yeah, clarify the, that for me. <laughs> the dance numbers in Kiss Me Kate are not really about the story, sure. it, it, it's one of those golden age musicals where the dance numbers are there to showcase dance and nothing else. But there are three major, major, major dance numbers in this production. Um, too Darn Heart. Uh, too Darn Heart. Too Darn Hot, which they did an abridged version of on the Tonys. Yeah, Cody couldn't believe that when I, met, when I told that to him last night. He was like, that's supposed to be a bridged version? Yeah, because, <laughs> oh. well, like I said last night, Too Darn Hot always makes me laugh because in every production it's about actors who are like, oh my god, it's so hot, I can't do anything physical, so I better dance my fucking ass off. <laughs> you know it's like when it it's never cold makes outside, sense they tell me, you to run to warm your irony. body up? <laughs> in the winter, they tell you to run to warm your body up if you're outside. Maybe Kiss Me Kate is like some alternate universe where they dance to stay cool. <laughs> No, it's irony, courtesy of Cole Porter. That's what it is. But they're <laughs> like literally I'm... hot. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's that. There is the Tom Dick or Harry number, which takes mm-hmm. place in the show within the show. And it's yeah, just incredible. Like, fantastic trio of guys and um, Stephanie Styles' character that is just phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. And then lastly, um, Corbin Blue's big showcase, uh, which is Bianca, which like, again, it's just a number about him, like expressing his love for, um, Bianca. Lois Lane. <laughs> yeah, for Lois Lane. And it, 
he it's just an expression of joy and the dancing that Warren Carlyle came up with for him to do was like it blew my mind <laughs> like the actual choreography is outstanding and the way they used the set was phenomenal like throughout the show they used the set in really interesting ways in the choreography and just like i love sergio trujillo i think he is a great choreographer i understand the wanting to award him but i i can't help but feel that <laughs> for for this really guys come on <laughs> they like the show they obviously like eight, eight too proud people really respond to it and this is just a place to reward it right and conversely they clearly <laughs> did not like his so so uh moving on we have a scenic design for a musical went to Hades Town. a lot of people thought it might be beetlejuice but apparently this uh american theater league does not like david corn very much which like can't be true because he's won before. Yeah. He's won before uh, more than once. I think this is part of the Hades Town sweep, to be honest. Yeah. Like, and because yeah. Hades Town does went, have oh a great God, set when everything is. Yeah, it? when they said that, I'm like, okay, it's gonna sweep. And I think that it's one of those things that, like, I think a lot of the things in Hades Town, based on again the performance that they did last night, since I haven't seen it, but like. Lighting, blocking, choreography, set design are all kind of one <laughs> in yes. a strange way. So, like, they're just sort of like everything, all all the design of Hades Town. Also, we love a set with a revolve. Yeah, love a turntable. Yep. So, I mean those those lights, those swinging lights. We're getting I'm, there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but that's also like that is lighting design, but it's also scenic design. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And choreography. Mm-hmm. Okay, scenic design of a play went to the ferryman. No surprise. <laughs> uh, costume design in a musical went to Bob Mackey for the Cher show. Yay. That was, that was the, the lock. call of the night, honestly. Yeah. When your so costume designer is a character in the show and gets to go, <laughs> look at my costumes, you're pretty much guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, this was uh, either a win for that or a makeup win for the best little whorehouse goes public. Oh, of course. <laughs> People were clamoring for that win. <laughs> uh, costume design in a play, sort of surprising, went to the ferryman. My my shirt that I was wearing uh, during the first half of the Tonys brought them a lot of luck, I guess. <laughs> I'm it seeing the did. ferryman next week, so I don't really know what the costumes are ahead of seeing it, but I just thought like the Anne Roth uh, nominees, Gary or To Kill a Mockingbird, I thought one of them would prevail because they seem a little more showy especially gary uh this is definitely one of those ones where they love the ferryman so they gave it costume design like they're nice costumes but it's like 1980s ireland like and it's interesting to note that rob howell um who did the costume design uh also did the scenic design Hmm. and he got both all right he had a good night yeah all right uh lighting design the musical hades town okay (laughs) obviously (laughs) y'all when i saw it in the theater like whenever they did that thing with the lamps which is obviously like even more intense in the theater because it's darker and they come kind of out into the audience a little bit my jaw like literally dropped it's the most insane lighting i've ever seen lighting design in a play went to ink which we thought it was going to be between this and network with maybe the fairy menace spoiler uh I don't know how lighting is used in ink. Obviously, with network, it's like a big television studio, so they're 
LED screens and everything like that. But Ink looks very projection heavy, so sometimes that can help. That but time. so is network. Yeah, true. Good point. I don't know. And they clearly <laughs> like Ink better as a show because it got the nomination for best play. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this is just another place to reward it. Uh, lighting design categories. Then uh, we had sound design uh, for a musical, Hades Town, of course. Sound design for a play. This was really interesting. The winner was Choir Boy. Which I do think had the best sound design of any play that I've seen out of these nominees, definitely, because it, it's really a play with music and also a play with mm-hmm. step dance in it, which obviously is very sound reliant. Um, I just wasn't sure if it could pull it off because it was kind of a little play. It's been closed for a bit already, but I was thrilled to see it receive something. This just proves that if a play has music in it in any capacity, always bet for it in this category because Lady Day won this, the Nance won this. They just like yeah. when a play has as much sound and music as possible. So, all right, Choir Boys, Tony winner. And the final uh, award, or the final category awarded before the start of the actual Tony ceremony was uh, we had Best Orchestrations, and they went to Hades Town. A shocker. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, slight shocker. Yeah. Uh, yeah I did not set up for that show. That. Yeah, it could have been Oklahoma. I do think it's interesting to note that both Oklahoma and Hadestown have musicians on stage, mm-hmm. which I think is always interesting at orchestrations when you have to set it up in a way that, like, you can kind of work around when people need to move. Yeah, it's just one more thing to balance. Yeah. So that was it. Hadestown did very well before the Tonys even started. And then when the Tonys did start, we got a Well, the telecast of, even started. Yes, the yes. telecast. Yeah. When yeah. the telecast <laughs> began, our first glimpse was the host, of course, James Corden, sitting in an apartment, or would look like to be an apartment, watching television. And then that turned into his big, splashy opening number. Uh, this was probably the biggest opening number since, since the last time he hosted, and before that when Neil Patrick Harris hosted in 2013. It was very much a... Typical Tony's opening with everyone there was a big celebration. We're here on Broadway, yada, yada. What did we think of this opening number? I got to say, I, I I think I'm done with the opening number. That's like, we know we're niche. We know tickets are expensive. We know we're not really cool. Musicals are dumb. But Broadway, we love it. We do it for the love. I feel like that's been the theme of like half Every of Tony's the opening ever. ceremonies since I've been watching it. I will say yeah. I love that this openly acknowledged that like Broadway actors are not paid enough. Because I feel like yeah. 10 years ago, they couldn't have said that at the Tonys. They would have, you know, yeah. been chastised for it. But, you know, within the industry. But the fact that they, like, actually addressed that, I actually thought was pretty cool. I thought it was a pretty good standard opening number. It's not, like, my favorite one I've ever watched. But I did love the moment where, like, all the casts came out together. I loved seeing all the casts um, from everyone on as part of the number. Um, and that was really fun, but I always love that. Um, yeah. I'm such a sucker for that, like good or bad when the music swells and everyone's there and they look like they're about to do a kick line or something, you know, that's like, that draws me in. You, you've won me over, even though it's not representative really of what Broadway actually is when you get there, you know, it's the idea everyone likes to have of what Broadway is when they're thinking of, Oh, this is something in New York that I should go to someday. Yeah, and like yeah. I liked the song itself. I, I agree that it was kind of like you know a retreat of previous ideas that they've done a lot in the past. But I thought it was very fun and very clever. Um, 
tuneful like you could hum it afterwards like i kind of wanted to download it i listened to it like twice today yeah. and you hear like how some of the lyrics flow and it's like that was sort of done on the cheap or maybe two minutes before the show started you know there were moments there they were a little iffy but you know when it all came together it's like okay this is the tonys you have an excuse to be like this I will also say, like, I read that they had one rehearsal yeah. with all of those people. So that in itself is impressive that they were at Radio City at 7 a.m., went back and did their matinees, and came back and did this, like, for the second time ever. Show people. Like, <laughs> truly, I bow down to troopers. all of them involved. Like, there's a reason they're called troopers. <laughs> yep. So that was the opening, and then we went on to the first televised category of the night which was Featured Actress in a Play. Uh, no surprise, it went to Celia Kane Bulger for To Kill a Mockingbird. She finally wins her Tony. Yay. She could finally stop playing children. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she looked beautiful, and I loved she her dress. She looked remarkable last night. She truly, truly did. And I watched her on stage for almost three hours as Scout, you know, dressed in, you know, tatters, pretty much. And then she comes up there looking like the belle of the ball, and it was just incredible to see her. So very happy for Celia. If you haven't seen To Kill a Mockingbird, get out, check it out. Her performance is really remarkable. So very happy for her. I think we went then uh, went to a commercial. Uh, actually, there were some performances scattered throughout here. For the sake of our podcast, we're going to wait until we're done talking about the uh, categories to then break down the performances. So just moving right along, we went to featured actor in a play next. Uh we weren't really sure who was going to win this going in. It seemed like it was split between three different guys. Benjamin Walker, Bertie Carville, and Brendan Uranowitz. Did anyone predict anyone but those three? I don't think no. so. I think somebody mentioned Robert DeJesus as a possibility, but I don't think anybody was predicting him. No. Yeah. yeah. And, so, uh, and it did go to one of those three guys. Bertie Carville won his Tony for Inc. playing Rupert Murdoch. Uh, he's someone who is not huge on Broadway, even though he's a previous nominee. This is only his second time in New York. He's a big actor from London. So people do know who he is. He probably came close to winning for Matilda back in uh, 2013. Definitely came close. He should have won. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that's what happened. Uh, He got his Tony. Maybe it was a makeup for Matilda. Maybe he was just really good as Murdoch. Uh, But he's a Tony winner nonetheless, so good for him. Yeah. Next up was Best Actress in a Play, or Leading Actress in a Play. Can I just say real quick that these the order of these awards just seems so very weird. strange. So <laughs> yeah, they strange. were just moving along. They were doing yeah. acting, 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 getting all the There's a ton of out of the way. play categories and big ones early on. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, we were like 25 minutes into the show when they did Lead Actress in a Play. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, there was some thought that Heidi Schreck could take this for what the Constitution means. Let me start that again. What the Constitution means to me, I don't know what I just said before. Uh, There was some thought that she could take it because she wrote the play, she's the face of the play. It's such an amazing thing, apparently, and people wanted to reward it somehow. But when you're up against Annette Benning and Elaine May and Laurie Metcalf, you know, when you're not a household name like that, it's easy to get lost mm-hmm. in the pack. I also think it's it's hard to win something like this if you're in like a um, non-traditional play. Like if you're in something that's more of a like, now I'm going to talk to you about this topic. There was a lecture. Yeah. An important the lecture, sort of one, one worth checking out. Quality. Yeah. yeah. 
But Elaine May went through the Waverly Gallery. Three of us on this podcast have seen the Waverly Gallery, myself, Nicole, and Dan. She is nothing short of remarkable. It's one of these performances that will stay with me the rest of my life. Yeah, it was a brilliant performance. And of course, because she's Elaine May, her acceptance speech was just just as good as her performance in the show. It was just darling the way she wanted to give credit to everyone but herself. I, I thought that was so lovely. And especially she, like, I'm, I'm so happy I won and I'm going to tell you how I did it. I'm like, that automatically set me up for laughter. And then at the end saying like, every night hearing Lucas Hedges talk about how I died so beautifully, I said to myself, I'm going to win this goddamn Tony. <laughs> I, I mean, talk about a way to leave him laughing, but also be respectful of your fellow cast members and the playwright. I mean, she yeah. is one of the most incredible human beings to have ever lived. She's lived like five different <laughs> lives over the course of her Seriously. lifetime. From this is the comedian. first time she's ever won an award for acting, which is crazy. Right. She has plenty of awards for writing. She wrote Tootsie and the Birdcage and Primary Colors and had a career working with Mike Nichols on Broadway. Uh, she directed that, Ishtar, Lady. A New yeah. Leaf, so many different things. She's an amazing, amazing person. So to see her in her late 80s win a Tony Award for acting, and you know, it's a it's a comedic role, but it's also pretty serious how it deals with Alzheimer's. And you do like watch her on stage in that show and think, oh my god, I'm watching Elaine May die on stage. <laughs> and then she goes back and does it again that next night or sometimes even that evening. So just really incredible. You know, Scott Rudin was behind her with the Waverly Gallery. Some could say, oh, he pushed her to win. No, this was all merit. This was all her. Yeah. Right, because the show closed so long ago, there's no rush to reward her. So you can tell it was really a love for her and the performance. Yeah. Did anyone catch when she was walking away from the microphone? It looked like she almost fell or something. I thought she was going back to her seat. That's what I thought. Like, she was just like, I don't need to go to the press room. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I a late fucking day. <laughs> Because I heard Latanya Richardson Jackson shouting like "Stop, stop, stop!" and it looked like she was like about to trip over the microphone or something. So I hope she's fine. She, uh, we would have heard if she wasn't, but yeah. we love Elaine May, Tony winner, all that. So very happy for her. Uh, another acting category we had featured actor in a musical, and if you're to believe awards math, where everything splits, this would have gone to. Uh, Andy, I can't pronounce his last name from Tootsie. Gratolution. Gratolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. I imagine something happened in kindergarten. Uh, because when you have two nominees from Hadestown and two nominees from Into Proud, you think, okay, where's the apple in the bag of oranges? No, it wasn't it, going to be. Right. Yeah. No. But when it's a performance that's <laughs> sort of as minor as that, it doesn't work that way. It was it a strong number before. five in the category. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we knew it was probably going to be one of the guys from Hadestown, Patrick Page or Andre DeShields. When these nominations were first announced, I think a lot of us were thinking Patrick Page because he's been such a presence on Broadway, likable guy. Nicole met him at the stage door. Lovely, lovely man. Asked every person at the stage door how they were. And he also showed me his dog who he had with him. And that <laughs> voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> that voice. That man's voice. Oh a my strong God. campaigner. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were sort of on board with that idea. Patrick Page is going to win. But then I think in the last week and a half, everyone was like, actually, this is going to be Andre DeShields because he's been around 
literally forever. He was the titular whiz in the whiz. He's a really special human. Yeah, he Yeah, is. you could tell from that speech last night. Uh, Nicole, do you want to tell us about Oh, my God. Every single time, I don't know if you've ever watched an interview with him or a panel that he's on, but when the man speaks, it's like poetry. Like, he just speaks in poetry as his normal way of speaking. And the speech that he gave was just so beautiful, thinking, you know, every everyone from where he had come from and everyone who's kind of helped him along the way. And then when he offered his advice for, like, life, and I was like, this feels like a profound moment of, Andre DeShields, like, sharing his, like, wisdom with everyone. I was like, can we give him another award for the speech? Like, yeah, I was really, like, on the edge of my seat being like, yes, yes, Professor DeShields. Yes, Pastor DeShields. Give yes. it to me. Give it to me. Give me all of your knowledge. He is a professor. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if you were just saying that because of the way he was speaking. Like, you, you could, like, definitely see him delivering a lecture to students. Yeah, there's just something about the way that he commands an audience with his voice. He gets on stage and he goes, Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> oh, I was so happy. I'm a, for those that don't know, I'm originally from Maryland and from Baltimore. And so we all of Facebook from back home was like, hometown hero. Like all of my <laughs> friends from back home. It was lovely. So very happy for him. Uh, and then Haiti Sound just kept going on and on and on because the next award went to Rachel Chafkin, Best Director of a Musical. Oh my god, talk about a vindication. (laughs) I jumped up from the couch at Dan's apartment and started jumping in circles yelling, justice, justice, justice. (laughs) Yelling justice for great comments. I honestly though, like, I can't even put into words how much it meant to see a woman receive this award because that's so rare. And then to see her use this platform to talk about how we need more female directors and more directors of color being, you know, enabled into these roles where they can make it to Broadway it just, it was such a special moment. And to see how much the crowd loved her was just one of those really special Broadway community moments. It was such a good speech. I mean, it was just a, a wonderful, she clearly loved the community, loved working in Broadway, but still, you know, had something to point out and used her platform really well and really um verbosely and just it was fantastic i I, I was reacting out loud just like you were nicole (laughs) there's something to be said now about balance in the universe because a lot of people were very upset deservedly so when she lost for the great comet but i think that also took away two years ago from christopher ashley's win for come from away which is a brilliantly brilliantly directed musical but then whenever you would mention that he had won the tony people said yeah but but she lost, but she doesn't have a Tony. Well, now she does have a Tony. So I think everyone can be happy that they all, you know, won that in their own ways. I'll say this. I wouldn't mind her having two Tonys. She didn't sure. win for Great <laughs> Comet, but this goes a long way toward mitigating that. Yes. I would agree. Like, I still think she deserved it. Yeah. Back for Great Comet, just because that was something so unlike what anyone had ever put onto Broadway before. But she came back with another equally amazing like life-changing show and finally, you know, got what she deserved. <laughs> Christopher Ashley, let it be said, followed up this Tony win with Escape to Margaritaville. So, yeah. And I okay. think that's all that needs to be said. <laughs> <laughs> Some things happen for a reason. Next, featured actress in a musical. We kept going back and forth here at NBP. This I would the- like to say... 
I was the only one who, in the end, correctly predicted this category. So I shall take your adulation now. <laughs> cool, but you got revival wrong, so <laughs> I was, which I was happy to get wrong. Uh huh. Uh huh. I was happy to get wrong. Well, and that's the thing. I think with this, it really came down to Ali Stroker and Amber Gray, and both of them are really incredible women. Um, and both, you know, very deserving of this award. I will say, having seen both performances, Ado Annie is, like, really kind of a sucky role, no matter what you do with it, even in this incredible revival. Uh, just because there's not much nuance to it. Ali Stroker's great in the role, but I do think that, like, Amber Gray is more the performance that people will remember in 10 or 20 or 30 years. That said, I'm incredibly happy for Ali Stroker, and, like, her speech was one of the best of the night, like to see history being made. But I also have to point out, and then I will stop monopolizing this, I promise. I feel like it says so much that they had to have her backstage because she couldn't have access to the stage from the audience. And she said afterwards that she meant like she was upset that she didn't get to say in her speech that the theaters need to do better about accessibility for backstage. She also wasn't able to get on stage when it won Best Revival. So. Actually, that no was debunked from what I understand. Was it? There, okay. Yes, there was a press agent on Twitter today who said she was with the show, and I'm looking at her tweet right now. She said, Allie was actually in the press room with us when Best Revival was announced. The press room is down the block, and she was unable to make it in time. Gotcha. Okay. I still, though, they had to have her backstage to be able to, you know, get her up for her award. Like Right. And apparently she was working with the the Tony committee and Radio City Music Hall ahead of the show of developing ways to make this, you know, an easy transition. So they could obviously do better. I think when you're putting together such a big show, you know, you're obviously going to have limitations of what you can do. So that's no excuse. You need to find a way, even if it's not, you know, the ideal way. It really demonstrates like how far we do still have to go in that. And that there are so many theaters. I mean, you guys, if you've been to Broadway theaters, like there yeah. are so many where you can't access certain levels of the theater yep. or you can't access yeah. the bathrooms from. Oh, yeah, There's entire industries that you, if you're in a wheelchair, you really can't be a part of currently because like lighting booths are inaccessible for the most part. Stage management booths sure. are not inaccessible. Yeah. In these old theaters. Yeah, it's bad. So it's beautiful to like see history be made, but I think that everyone needs to like remember that this isn't the end. Like we still have so far to go. Yeah. And like I said, like this she won, I think, because she had a story mm-hmm. and because this is so this is so meaningful and I was like it really was a super meaningful moment. Like watching it and you could see all the reactions on Twitter afterwards of, you know, parents posting pictures of their kids being like, she won and she was talking to me and I can do it too. And like, it just like, it made me cry so many times. I cried on the subway this morning. (laughs) It was, it was a, I really appreciate the win for what it means for she also seemed to have given a kick-ass performance regardless of what her narrative was. I mean, seriously, that girl can blow. Yeah. Um, I had I predicted... Just, oh, go on. No, 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 you got... I was going to change something slightly. I was going to say, I had predicted Amber Gray at the very end, even though Ali Stroker seemed like the one who had the story, who had the great performance and all that. But Amber Gray, I thought, was just going to ride this giant Hadesound wave. But then as they were announcing the nominees last night, they cut to everyone in the theater... 
And something on my gut just said to me, oh, no, this isn't going to go to Amber. This is Allie's. And, of course, they said Allie's name. It probably yeah, was they, the they had her perform that solo. Night, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Amber, they caught her a few times. I don't know if this is just maybe catching her at the wrong moment or something. I couldn't tell if she was, like, so thrilled to be there. When they, the camera cut her, she looked, like, a little, like... Amber Gray famously doesn't really go to many events. She has two young children. Um, she has literally a baby. Um, and from everything I've heard of her from friends who work in the press, she's, like, an incredibly lovely woman, just very much not into kind of the glitz and glam part of the job. Mm-hmm. Like, she's there to do her craft and yeah. to play these roles and work with people like Rachel Chavkin, and she's not really as interested in kind of the the glamorous side of it. Also, like we said before, if somebody if they're up at seven to rehearse, do a matinee, do the show, and she still had to perform, I'm okay with them <laughs> saving the energy for yeah, a smile on camera. And she has a baby, so she probably didn't get as much sleep as everybody else sitting there. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just thought maybe like there was some backstory, you know, some gossipy backstory. So um between this and the Andre de Shields win. These are both wins from shows that had multiple nominations in their categories. So I've always been dubious of this theory, but I, I really think this year can lay to rest the idea that vote splitting is even a thing at the Tonys because clearly it didn't matter this year. Like there were multiple options for the same show in both categories and they still won. Yeah. You're right. I was just so, you know, taken aback a couple of years ago when Ruthie and Miles won for King and I over all the women from Fun Home. That might be an exception because it's three people (laughs) in the same category. Um, Uh, Don't get me wrong. She was a totally deserving winner. It just seems surprising given that Fun Home was such a thing that year. And everyone thought, oh, it would be one of these Fun Home people. And then they all sort of split. But even then, we had three men in uh, featured actor for Hamilton. And the producers. Yeah, and Hamilton won. I think it's when somebody is a front runner. I don't think vote splitting is a thing. Sure. Because Ruthie and Miles wasn't really a surprise. It was like, um, it wasn't who I was predicting, but it was not a surprise. Yeah, I think when there's a story to one of the people who is in the same show as someone else, that person has a natural advantage, just as they would if there wasn't another person from the same project nominated. If that right. makes sense. Sure. I'm just not going to use it in the future to predict because it just, I, I just think it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Revival of a play. This was another one where in the predictions we were sort of split. And then we all made our final guesses that I guess that morning at the latest. And then as they were reading the nominees, I don't know about all of you, but I had this feeling of, oh no, I shouldn't have gone with what I picked. I know what's going to win this. And of course it did. <laughs> I actually, after after Elaine May's win, I felt pretty secure in the Waverly Gallery because I kind of assumed that if you one know. happened, the other would. But I was thrilled to see Boys in the Band take it. Yeah, yeah. I was upset that like I picked the wrong gay revival. <laughs> <laughs> revival but is I not went- your category this year, Dan, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I really loved that. Like, and they didn't really get to go into this um on the on the show but you know mort crowley (laughs) he the when boys in the band premiered it was off broadway this is the first time it's been on broadway first time on broadway 50 years Mm -hmm. after it premiered off broadway during pride month yeah there there was such a narrative there that yeah I, i think we all should have seen this coming and like i forgot a little bit that Ryan Murphy had actually produced this and like, yes, a little dubious of his 
pull in the theater community, but I guess like the power of Ryan Murphy is very strong. <laughs> that was a show that it was the first one to open last year. Mm-hmm. It was the first of the season. Yeah. And they used that to their credit. Well, and like I this has to be the longest closed show to ever win. Yeah, it's not like it ran for a Prox. year. I think it was like right. It was weeks a limited engagement for like yeah. two months or something. I remember being in New York last May when it was just opening, and you know, it seemed to be doing pretty well. People were lined up around the theater. Oh God, it but was it, the talk of the town. It seems like a lifetime ago, June though. When it was playing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in uh, retrospect, uh, I wish I had seen it because I always hate to stay on top of the shows that win these things. And we know that it's going to be on Netflix, so we will be able to see this cast. And it's production, even if it's in the form of a film, it's still, it's like nice to be able to go to the theater and say, oh, I saw the show that won this award or that award. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was impossible to get tickets to. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Boys in the Band is a play that I would like to, you know, people obviously have seen it updated now. But for a lot of people, the only version they know is the movie from the early 1970s directed by William Friedkin which is a really interesting film. Uh, obviously, when you look at how it's filmed, it's just... When you think of late 60s, early 70s style, you think of Boys in the Band. You know, It's very much of its time. So to see a revival like this, and I don't know if it moves it, uh, to the late 2010s or if it stays with the period setting. I'm but regardless, pretty sure it's period because it's a lot of the, from what I understand, a lot of the play wouldn't even make sense if it was set in this day and age between like the politics of it and yeah, what they're yeah, legally capable of doing. much rooted in the time and place it was written. So it's okay. a really nice reminder of where we came and how much further mm-hmm. we still have to go. But even to see it now, even if it's still set in the 70s, to see it with this group of alt actors in this different climate that we're in now, I think that's really valuable. Yeah. And I love seeing all of them sitting next to each other. That was nice. Yeah, that was great. So very happy for that show. Very happy for Mark Crowley and everyone involved with it. It's a nice win. Uh, And then keeping along with the plays, we had Best Direction of a Play. No surprise, going to Sam Mendes. Another one that I was up off the couch jumping around, (laughs) Dan can tell you. (laughs) He was very, very excited. (laughs) He, so he wasn't able to attend because he's off filming 1917 right now. Very busy with that. But this is his first Tony for Best Director. He had won when Cabaret won Revival years ago, about 20 years ago, as a producer. But this is his first for directing. And he's a very well-known theater director, especially in London. He now has a matching set uh, for the Ferryman of the Olivier and the Tony. So yeah. there you go. that's kind of beautiful. So we always like Sam Mendes. He did send a uh, message uh, that was on the Tony's Twitter um, from Scotland, I think is where he was, uh, and mostly just praising Jez Butterworth for what he, you know, gave him with that script. So just a quick correction. He didn't actually win when Cabaret won Revival. I guess he wasn't a producer, but he has three awards, one for Revival of a Play in 2000 for The Real Thing, one for Best Play for Take Me Out, and one for Best Play for Red. Mm. Uh, But this is still his first director award, and he also won Best Play later tonight. Okay, then I was given some real misinformation by whoever told me (laughs) that. I got you, Michael. I got you. Uh, Thank you, Cody. Cody coming in with the stats. Nothing but the facts. (laughs) In hindsight, though, that is weird that he didn't win anything for Cabaret. I know Julie Taymor, Lion King, blah, 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 right. but 
Yeah. That was just stunning what he did. <laughs> Starting at the Donmar warehouse. <laughs> there you go. It all comes full circle with us here. It does. And nothing that Julia Taymor did in The Lion King should ever be reduced to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I that was a year where, like, can we give them both t- the direction? Can there be a tie? <laughs> Please. Best director of a new musical. There you go. Best yeah, director really. of a revival yeah. of a musical. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Except for in a year like this. <laughs> well, yeah. Original score. Nicole, you want to take this one? Yeah. So original score, of course, I don't think anybody thought that this wasn't going to happen, but it went to Anais uh, Mitchell for Hades Town, And I think this is when she gave her really lovely speech. Uh, and she gave... You know, the people of Town, I guess, like, offer life lessons whenever they win awards. And she, she said those three important lessons that she said are true of life and art, which was nobody does it alone, it takes a long time, and it's worth it. And it just, I felt like that was a really beautiful moment, and it was beautiful to see a woman win for a score that she had written single-handedly. And just really lovely to to have her and Rachel have both won for the same show. I gotta say, it really points to the just quality and love of the show that there were six nominees for this category, the most ever, and it was still mm-hmm. not a surprise to anyone that it won. Yeah, I mean, just really, it just like truly was the best score. And it's it's a really exciting score too because it's not your average Broadway score. Like it's it's a little bit of a different style and. I also will say one of my favorite things about this score is that it's one of those times where you can tell that it's a woman writing for women's voices in the female parts because typically I find so many Broadway scores sound a bit strainy, like they push ranges for women a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. Any Andrew Lee Weber score. Precisely. <laughs> and this yeah. one, it's the men who are pushed to the edges of their limits. Like Reeve Carney spends most of the show singing in falsetto. Patrick Page, obviously, like, I don't know how many other people could sing that low. And these roles of, you know, Eurydice and uh, Persephone sit really nicely in a female voice. And I think that that really speaks to having a woman writing a score. That's a really good point, Nicole. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next up, uh, Revival of a Musical. The nominees were Oklahoma and Kiss Me Kate. And almost all of us were predicting the eventual winner. Mm -hmm. But someone just had to be a little bit different here, didn't they? Dan, what was going through your mind when you made this prediction of Kiss Me Kate? (laughs) What was going through my mind was that the Oklahoma revival has proven very divisive, particularly among the um, older set of the the American theater wing and Tony voters. To be fair, nobody left at intermission whenever I saw Kiss Me Kate that I could tell, and I watched Mm -hmm. people walk out angrily from Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah, like, it is... (laughs) I can't imagine. Like, I mean, so that was literally the only thing that was going through my mind was, like, lowest common denominator. Like, I think Kiss Me Kate will have more people who say across the board they liked it, whereas Oklahoma would have that smaller, like, pocket of really passionate people um so the you know the consensus pick would be kiss me kate very very happy to be wrong because i have heard only the most like 
I've heard the most amazing things about the Oklahoma revival from the people who liked it. I know people who did not like it at all and thought it was like, you know, three hours of their life that they would never get back. Um, but the people who liked it really had only the most glowing things to say about it. So and I think I owe Oklahoma a little bit of an apology here. I know I've told all of you off air, but during our predictions episode, I think I may have described this as the, the Brooklyn hipster version of Oklahoma. <laughs> when, I mean, when it's I, the beer at St. Anne's Warehouse. So yeah. <laughs> when I had first heard about the concept of this revival, I was immediately turned off by it, thinking like, oh, why do they have to go and butcher something that's so great to begin with, this classic? You know, why do we have to lose sight of why people love these things in the first place? But then hearing that they didn't change a word of the book, hearing that all the songs are still intact, hearing that it's still the same Oklahoma that just happens to be directed a little bit differently... That made me think, okay, maybe this is something that is worth seeking out. And we'll talk later about the performance that they had. But seeing the cast there, seeing everyone go up on stage, it really reassured me that, oh, this isn't something to be concerned about. This is just the same old show in a bit of a different context. I mean, I will say, I do think that the performance at the Tonys was perhaps a little bit tame for what most of the show is like having seen it and I'm seeing mm. it again next week from the front row. Ugh, yeah. So much. But I just have to say like it does take a lot of risks. It really makes a big statement. I think it's probably the most political of all the shows on Broadway right now other than what the constitution means to me. And like you can never say it's a safe bet whenever the unofficial tagline of a musical becomes something like this Oklahoma fucks, which is <laughs> what people have been saying about this and like having seen it. Yes. So I think it is like a really <laughs> incredible win and also like a really great vote of confidence in the idea of, you know, taking an older musical and making it more relevant to the modern day and making it, you know, have a bit of a statement and maybe changing how some characters are, you know, the light in which they're seen. Um, because this one really kind of reconsiders who Judd Fry is. And I think the speech that they gave really reflected that, you know, talking about how this shows what happens when a community makes someone the outsider and the fear that goes along with that and what that kind of does. And it's um, it's a really incredible set of performances, but it's, it's really a, a reinvention of a show that I think many people, myself included, thought could never really be relevant ever again. Yeah, I'm I'm so thrilled with this win. As much as I I love Kiss Me Kate as well. <laughs> I think the lesson to take from this from a prediction standpoint is if there is a revival that is up for it and it is like kind of the uh apple in a basket of oranges, it's if it's a really radical reinvention, bet on that. I mean, between Once on this Island and Color Purple recently going all the way back to Cabaret in Chicago in the 90s, they really have a respect for things that take material and do something completely new with it. Um, I just think it's a, a, a good tool to use when we're doing this category. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, they also like when you do it traditionally, but do it, you know, not on the cheap when you do go or go all out, have it you know, big and just the thing everyone wants to see. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I just think, well, in years where it's like all just typical revivals, you think of like the year, the King and I won, it was up against mm -hmm. on the town in 20th century, which are all very, um, traditionally done revivals or better or for worse. That's when you can kind of just bet on the one that people will probably like the most. But if there's a, you know, new vision of it, I think that's a good, uh, guiding point. And as fun as kiss me, Kate is, you know, when you compare it even to hello, Dolly, kiss me, Kate 
I don't think is as well directed or produced as Dolly was. It's, you know, on a bit of a smaller scale. I think that Kiss Me Kate is also hurt by the fact that I would say it's a five-star production of a three-star show. Like, I don't think that what Mm. they're starting from is as strong as what Oklahoma is starting from, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, Kiss Me Kate has a lot of great numbers, but as a whole... There's no book. It's just, you know, silly antics and songs, which is fine. I love it. (laughs) I love it. We're gonna be like, I I think is is one of the great golden age musicals. Absolutely, it just as time has gone on, we expect more from shows than this. Um, But I think it's it's great. I think the score is completely unimpeachable, and I think the the book is very clever. Has a lot of great laughs. Right. No, without a doubt. Dan, you mentioned the older set a few minutes ago. I am the older set. I may only be 23, but I am a senior citizen at heart. You absolutely are. <laughs> so this is like, if, if even I can get on board with this Oklahoma, you know, I can see why the Tony voters did it too. Love Kiss Me Kate, nothing against it. But if they're going for, you know, what's going to bring in the audiences and have people talking and talking, it's not going to be the very good but been there, done that. It's going to be the Nicole, say it again, the Oklahoma. This Oklahoma fucks. <laughs> I literally saw someone last night refer to it as fucklahoma. Yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I would like to go see this production. It's going to be there through January, I think. So there's plenty of time for people to get out and see it. Uh, then we had leading actor in a play, which there was some competition here down to the end. And it wasn't no. one of those moments where we were hearing the nominees and thinking, oh, I predicted this, but it's going to go to this guy. You know, it could have gone either way between Brian Cranston and Jeff. No, Daniels. it could I No, yeah, Brian, uh, Michael, I think yeah. it was pretty solid. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I also felt like Patty Considine had as good a chance as Jeff Daniels after the ferryman was winning so much. Honestly, it was never going to be anyone but Brian Cranston. Like, well, why do you you've been in New York one at precursor? All. If you've been in New York at all, all anyone has been talking about since Network opened has been Brian Cranston. But Mockingbird is also a huge, huge sensation that you can't even get a ticket to. But people haven't been talking about Jeff Daniels in the same way. Yeah, Network, you can't get a ticket to Network, and like they don't even have the same like cheap ticket deals that Mockingbird has. Like it's standing room only if you want to see it for cheap. And the difference is that people have been talking about Mockingbird, but people have been talking about Brian Cranston, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, you're both in the city, so I trust you to read the room better than uh, us outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, you know, now Brian Cranston has his matching Olivier and Tony mm-hmm. and, um, from everything I've heard, he's phenomenal in the role. He's such a name. I, I definitely felt like this. By the time that Tony's actually hit, I felt like this was his. Yeah, the passion was there for him and really nobody else. Network just closed yesterday. So if this had still been open, I would have been up there to see it in a heartbeat. It was just a very busy you know, fall and winter for a lot of us. So it was just tough to get out and see it. It's impossible to get tickets for anyway. (laughs) This was something that was when it was done in London, I believe National Theater did record it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up at a movie theater simulcast uh, in maybe six months or so. 
I um I thought that his speech also while we're talking about it was really oh, lovely. That's it was I think one of the most political speeches that we got in a night. You know, I I damn can tell you I started crying a little bit because like I studied communications in college and no. it's been a very difficult past few years to see how journalists and the media have kind of been turned into the enemy. Um, largely because of politics and to see him recognize those people. And also he like thanked his stage managers by name. And as someone who's the best friend of someone who's in school to be a stage manager, like I thought that was really special. Unsung heroes. <laughs> Truly. He's stage a really good egg. From what I've seen yeah. over the years when he was doing press for Breaking Bad and going all the way back to Malcolm in the Middle and all that stuff, he is just someone who cares about everyone else in the industry, not just his role in it. So mm-hmm. always nice to see him recognized. And he you know, he cares about issues that matter. And he understands that the world doesn't revolve around Brian Cranston. So nice to see him there. Second Tony Award. And knowing him, I'm sure he'll come back to Broadway in another five years and maybe pick up a third. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him do a comedy. I feel like he has such a sense of humor that I think yeah. that he's in his mind. Yes. I mean, yeah, his big break with Malcolm in the Middle, so. Yeah. It's true. He has, the, he has the abilities. I'd, I'd actually, like, really like to, <laughs> I kind of wish I, sh- wish I could put him in the um, announced uh, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf revival instead of Eddie Izzard. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Him and Lauren Ooh. Metcalf signed me up now. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> People always think of Breaking Bad as this like really serious <laughs> drama. You know, it has this air prestige around it now since it's been off the air for about six years. That people tend to forget that when that show was on and we saw all these great new episodes, Breaking Bad had some really funny moments, courtesy of him. He threw a pizza on that roof. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like no he did that. An excellent point. <laughs> so, you know, Brian Cranston does have that. Uh, funny bone in him somewhere and knows how to use it every once in a while. So good for him. Uh, Howard Beale is now halfway to an EGOT. <laughs> now all we need is the Howard Beale concept album. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> and then the television series, the sitcom Howard exclamation point. I mean, don't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best play. Ferryman, obviously. Nicole, you love it, I think. Are you the only one who's seen it on the podcast as of now? I think so, but I've seen it three times. <laughs> <laughs> so you made it for all of us. Uh, yeah. well, I'll be joining you next week. I know how much Ooh. you love it, and you sort of like convinced me to get the ticket to see it. Yeah, I wore my Ferryman uh, t-shirt the first half of the night and then changed into my Hadestown t-shirt uh, just in time for their performance. So I was putting out that good karma. And uh, I, I'm so thrilled to see this recognized partially because like, I think... Over the years, we've had a lot of Broadway has turned to very um, much smaller plays, easier to produce, smaller casts. And this play is just incredible. It's incredible that it's been in the West End and on Broadway because it has a huge cast of children and a live baby and a goose and a rabbit. And it's everything that a playwright thinks that he will never get produced. Um, So for Sonia Friedman to have, you know, taken the chance on it. It's really special, and like I got to see it win at the Olivier's, and then I, I got to you know see him, um, Sam, and, and Jez talk about it at the Olivier's, and uh, also like the fact that it's actually based on Jez Butterworth's wife's family history, and it's based on like a a very real thing that happened. Um, I just think it's really special, and to watch him like hand off that award to her, I thought was was really lovely. 
Well, you only have a few more weeks to see it. It's closing July 7th, I believe. But it's going on tour. Yes, it is going on tour. But, you know, everyone loves to be able to see that original Broadway production if they can. Well, it's not the original cast anymore. Right, it's not the original (laughs) cast. And you can still say you saw the Sam Mendes staging at the Bernard Brooks Theater. So if you can get there in the next couple of weeks, it sounds like it's a hot ticket to get. And they're still pretty reasonable, the prices. You know, if you want to sit up in... uh, the rear mezzanine, I got my ticket for about $50, which, you know, very, very reasonable for a Tony-winning play. Yeah, I reckon they'll go up for the next couple of weeks until it closes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was the final award the Ferryman won uh, in the evening. And then for the final three categories, you have, uh, wrapping up the musicals, Best uh, Leading Actor in a Musical, Santino Fontana for Tootsie, which... I think we all predicted that he would take it. He's been around for years, nominated for Cinderella. So great when he filled in for Gavin Creer, Gavin Creel and Hello Dolly last year, playing Cornelius Hackle. He's just seems like such a likable guy. He's worked in the business for a while. He's a voice in Frozen. Uh, and this was the time to reward him. I will say, like watching the performances on the Tonys last night, which we'll talk about later. I did have a little bit of a feeling of, like, as great as Santino is, like, Alex Brightman is standing right there, folks, like, <laughs> giving it his all, working with a vocal coach to do this different voice, like, so, a I mean... A divisive figure, too, though, Mr. Brightman. Is he divisive? No. He's very yeah, beloved within the industry. Yeah. There are also some people, I think I would put myself in this category, who think when he dials it up to an 11, it's a little screechy instead of entertaining those people have been very quiet yeah i mean whenever i like i think he's very well beloved by the people in the industry like i've never met anyone who worked in the industry who had anything but good things to say about him yeah um like as a person i have to say like having seen both tootsie and beetlejuice um i have no problem with santino's win I don't think he gave my famous my favorite performance in the lot. Um, there, there are definitely moments in watching Tootsie where I was like, "He's really just winning this for putting on a dress, isn't he?" But then there are other moments when no, he actually is like doing really, really wonderful work. Um, His vocal I, uh, work as Dorothy Michaels is just outstanding. Hearing it on the album. Is I actually not quite as good on <laughs> it is not quite as good live as it is on the album, but that's to be expected, honestly. Um, and he, you know, he's he's very good. I it's not one of my favorite Tony wins ever, um, but it's it, it's good. It I have no I have no problem with it. It wouldn't pick. It's not my favorite, but it's a good win yeah i don't begrudge him this win by any means i just i thought that damon um as curly in oklahoma is doing something really special and really reinventing a role in a way that i didn't think was possible and alex brightman is bringing something to beetlejuice that man it's it's the only no one else could do it he does it's the like the only performance i can compare that to this season is amber gray in that like they're just magnetic and they do things that you didn't think were possible but that said, like, I think Santino is a very deserving actor, and this does feel a little bit more like a career win um, than Which maybe just for this role. He hasn't been around for all that long, but, like, it does feel that way, doesn't it? More than half a decade, you know, he's been putting in the time. Yeah, well, like, six years, but he spent, 
like how many he hasn't spent all of those six years working in theater. Yeah. You know, yeah, he was he doing movies and television things. for a, a long time of that. Like, believe me, like I have been a huge fan of his ever since that importance of being earnest revival um years ago. That was and, a good one. And like I so like I saw him first, ladies. But like <laughs> uh, I saw him production band, honestly, I really did. Cheered, with Bedford. Yeah. Oh my God. Brian Bedford was fantastic. But like I have cheered him on ever since. I um, saw him in the 2008 something in the park. His debut. Thank you very much. I win. Oh, oh wow. He played Smell soldier number one. <laughs> um, I gotta say though, Dan, the things that you're saying, like he's not been around in theater for the entire ten or so years. He's been, you know, he's been doing TV and film stuff. Sometimes that is enough to win you a Tony, though. You know, they no, don't. They true. love people yeah. come back from come back to the fold or make a Absolutely. moment yeah. on the stage. You know, think of Catherine Zeta Jones or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to give an honorable mention. I just want to give an honorable mention to Brooks and the prom, and maybe because oh, I've been yes. listening to it so much, but he just brings the biggest smiles to my face. I even love though, like so much. And I think because it's one of those roles where it teeters on being leader featured, yes. just by the nature of that show. But and, like, like, he yeah. just warms my heart so much. <laughs> yeah, Casey, like, watching the teeters. performance of the prom, I, he was he won me over. I was and, like, give him oh the Tony. God. Yeah, <laughs> like, he was quite good. So good, like he teeters right on the edge of being too much and being a caricature, but it's just like he always is able to pull it back somehow. It, it's really amazing to watch him. And when I first saw the prom, I was like, oh my god, he has to win! He has to win. Did I cry whenever I watched him sing Barry's going to the prom? Yes, oh, <laughs> oh my god, have I cried on the street? Yes, listening to it, obviously. Oh <laughs> I did not know much about him ahead of the season. I knew that he was nominated for the Martin Short uh, Broadway thing years ago. And I knew, like, the name, but I wouldn't know him if I tripped over him on the street. But just seeing him last night and watching all the energy he had and that Barry's going to the prom number, he just seems so thoroughly charming and, like, a great guy on and off stage. So, And apparently he is a great guy off stage because he bought all of his fellow nominees a watch this year. And had them all engraved. It's the cutest thing. <laughs> I love him so much. He was in the original cast of Songs for a New World. So huge musical theater nerd appreciation forever That's for where that. That's I recognized <laughs> his name. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there we go. My roommate also ran into him at the gym. Um, oh. And they had a lovely chat and he was very friendly and nice and... It's always it's always good to to hear that about someone. He will be back. He seems to have what it takes to get a win in years to come. So stay tuned. Leading actress in a musical. Love the show. Hate the show. Indifferent to the show. Whatever you may think. There's no denying that Stephanie J. Block is one of the great Broadway talents we have right now. And absolutely deserves to be called a Tony winner. And that's what happened last night. I'm so happy for her that she won. Um, like, especially now having seen the show show, which is just like a source of pure joy and delight. And I had so much more fun watching it than I thought I was going to. It's like you've died and gone to camp heaven. It's true. (laughs) And like, honestly, her share impression is so fucking good. She does a great job with the voice. We saw that in the performance and, last but, night. And and the mannerisms too. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like how when she she plays the older version of shows, like she has 
all the body language, the and the differentiation between when she's just being, you know, herself and working versus when she's performing. Like she has the whole like basically like choreography from the shoulders up thing when she's performing that Cher does. Like if you've ever seen Cher live, it's really incredible. Yeah, and I saw a lot of um people dismissing her performance as like it's just a Cher impression, but like people have been winning Oscars for that for the better part of a century. <laughs> Combine like, that with an overdue narrative and that actually sounds kind of unstoppable to me. Yeah. And like, and I will say, like having seen it at the end of Act 1, I was like, well, if she doesn't have something more dramatic to do in Act 2, then I don't know. what They're giving her the Tony Award for doing a really great share impression. But she absolutely has a moment in Act 2 that I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, she could absolutely win and I would be okay with that. And hey, call it a share impression all you want, but at least she's actually singing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, you know, I wasn't predicting this because I wasn't sure if the voters were going to actually go for it. Yeah. But I was thrilled for her. Her speech was beautiful. Um, and I think it's it's really special. And to see how thrilled that Cher was on Twitter. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh God, Stephanie. Oh, it's so pure. Wait, yeah. Cody, can we have another d- dramatic reading? It was, oh, course. God, 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 Stephanie, oh, of. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody took that tweet today and put it next to a picture of Stephanie Tanner from Full House Smoking. I <laughs> Oh, I saw that for the smoking in the bathroom episode. Yes. <laughs> the best one I saw was somebody put that with um, me and my friends reading Twilight in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Stephanie J. Block, her there's a reason that she that it won the share show for actress and not for best musical. You know, you look at uh, the performance and you either love it or you hate it, but there's no denying how great she is in that role so very happy for her she should have won it two years ago for falsettos if we're being perfectly honest oh god yes also can i just say she looks smoking hot in this show like i don't know how that woman who has a small child looks like that (laughs) like baby body who like Um, she's incredible yeah just can't wait to see what she does after this i know tony some people say is the apex of your career she is so much more She's been doing this for years, and she's going to keep doing it, hopefully. So love her. Happy to call her Tony winner now. And then we have the final category of the night. Best musical, Town. What else is there oh, left to say? Another beautiful speech and another beautiful time to see a lot of women on stage at a time that you typically don't get to. Yep. And from that moment that it won, as if it wasn't difficult enough to get a ticket to Town, I checked the Today Ticks app this morning. And the prices just within that app were going from two hundred dollars and up. Oh yeah, yeah. This is one of those shows that once it won Best Musical, I was like, I'll see it in seven years. Like, still haven't seen Mormon or seven Hansen. years on like, tour. I'll get there one day. <laughs> it's like me with Hamilton. I'm like one day, one day. It's not yeah. anywhere. So, very happy for that. You know, Hades Town is this original concept on Broadway. It's the type of thing that people say they want to see, and they don't come around enough, and. Here it is. You know, people say they want it and it comes around, they reward it. So it's the type of thing that people, you know, make good on the wishes. Anything else with the awards or does that cover it all? No, I was generally pretty happy with the winners. There was nobody I was like mad at. You know, this wasn't like 2013. 
kinky boots with winning everything. It, it, it's like a it was a pretty well balanced evening. Yeah, I was thrilled. <laughs> In between all the awards, of course, like any good Tony's telecast, we had performances from nominated musicals. This year, there was one play in the mix there, Choir Boy, because there's a musical element to it. But it's always bugged me that we don't get little clips from the plays like they used to do back in the 80s. Like, you would see a clip from Fences. So why couldn't we have a clip from All My Sons? Like, get Tracy West to come, and Annette Benning was already there. Let them do some, you know, sparring on stage together. Yeah, I just, I did appreciate that at least James Corden brought all the playwrights up to talk about their show, because I read something that he apparently had to, like, really fight with CBS to be able to get them up there. Yeah, I don't know how I buy that. They did that a couple years ago, too, when he wasn't even hosting. Yes, no, but they did no, away it with not, it. It's not every year, though. Yeah, it's, it's not, not every, every year, year but it's not like he invented the concept. Either. Oh, no, but well, he said, let's bring it back. For the play. But it's not, it's not always been the playwrights themselves mm-hmm. introducing their work. Yes. Which is kind of special this year. They, they did it in 2017. Paula Vogel, I remember, spoke about Indecent. Along with a I few don't others. know that all of the playwrights think, did. Yeah, I don't think that. all of them talked about their shows in 2017. Yeah, that may have been just Paula Vogel did that for Indecent. However they do it, I think, you know, it's a nice gesture. But just having them speak about the play, you know, I wish it could have been a little bit more. And I think it sort of gives the short shrift to these shows. And coming to the season as someone who cared a lot more about the plays than the musicals, I just felt like they barely gave them the time of day outside of that little bit. And then if you're a show like, all my sons, you know, people wouldn't even know you're on Broadway aside from those three quick mentions as they're reading the nominees. I mean, I feel like the Tonys in past years has been very much musical centered because that's what's easiest to showcase because you can much easier take a performance number out of a uh, musical and let it stand on its own than you can take a scene from a play and not just confuse people. Of yeah, course. back and in the '80s and '90s when they did used to do that, there were way less musicals opening every year. So this year, you know, you got at least four or five original ones, two to five revivals, and then like whoever has the money, like the share show. So there's just not much time, unfortunately. And the success mm. of a Tony's telecast, I think we could all agree. Outside of the winners, just when you look at the quality of the show itself, a Tony's telecast is only as successful as just the shows that are on Broadway that year. If yeah. you like what's playing on Broadway, the in the musicals specifically, then you're going to like the telecast because you get to see clips of your favorite things. But if you come into the season saying, okay, there are only maybe one or two musicals I like and the rest are all plays, you know, you're going to be watching these things thinking, eh, that was fine, but, you know, where are we really going with this? And that can vary year by year. Yeah, and I think that's why, like, most of us would say it was a pretty good telecast this year. It's I, my I, favorite Tonys yeah. that I can remember ever. And, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a good one. You know, you're going to say, some people I know adore Hadestown, some people adore The Prom. I'm in this weird boat this year where I just think everything is like, eh, whatever. See, but even outside of that, I still thought James Corden was a pretty decent host. I thought most of the bits were successful, which for an award show, if it gets half of the bits right, then I'm, that's good. Because I, I mean, the fact, zero, that, right? the fact that he got enough people in the audience to play along with those bits and to really commit to them. And even Brian Cranston had a huge smile on his face watching yeah. all of that. And, okay, yeah, can we talk great. about his Michael in the Bathroom parody? That, that was incredible. Was a waste of time. That 
That is my favorite so skit good. ever done on the Tonys. That was the best number of the show. Four to Why one. did they dedicate three minutes to a song from a show that's not even nominated for best musical? It was nominated for best score because that song has cult status. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep the show on the air, we need those teens tuning in somehow. So I'm okay with it, and it was genuinely funny. I thought they didn't credit it. To that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Which James Corden did apologize today and say, and he put out a link to George Salazar singing it, which I thought was was nice of him because it's not his fault that they didn't credit it. Right. Because otherwise, I, it would seem like, like just an official musical number for the award show. Yeah, I just like because it felt like such a niche joke. I loved so, it. Like I thought that was just like amusing to me because that's the only song I've heard from Be More Chill. Oh, same. So like I it's understood the reference and like I thought all of their voices sounded really great. Like and the fact that they got Josh Groban and Sarah Bareilles and Neil Patrick Harris in on it, like. I just, that's maybe my favorite, like, skit on the Tonys of all time. I seriously. Of like all the, time. Of all time. Of, yeah. Yeah. Fire hosts, like, talking about what it meant to them and stuff. Like, I just thought that was so clever and lovely. Yeah. Like, my mom Spin and my ranks, sister Michael, were like, sorry. this is great. I feel great. like you're all getting ready to send me to Hades Town. <laughs> That's a lovely place. It wins many Tony. We're uh, yeah. we're getting ready to send Alex Brightman to get you, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think you're all gonna, to the other side. I, I'm probably going to deserve it when we dive into some of these uh, comments on the musical performances because both the Hades Town performance and the Beetlejuice performance, I I know they're well produced. Obviously, lots of crafts going on there, interesting to look at. But at the end of both of them, I just was left thinking, what am I? getting out of these. I'll, so. I'll put you a bone here, Michael. I The Hades Town performance, I was set to love it. And it was, I thought it was gorgeous, but it was not quite what I wanted it to be. I still really enjoyed watching it, but I would have personally picked a different song as beautiful as the music is. I think the staging could have been a little bit more conducive to television. But that being said, the music and the staging is so gorgeous that it, it, regardless of the energy of it, I was still enamored. Without a doubt, like the costumes and the lighting and seeing the swinging lights, that was all amazing. But, you know, even as someone who has a minor idea of what Town is, I still left confused. And if I'm leaving feeling confused, what's someone in middle America who's never heard of the show going to think of it after seeing that? I'll say that I was completely entranced by that performance all the way through. I I don't know what the reaction to the reaction of people who like don't, you know, aren't in New York and really into theater and especially avant-garde-ish theater as opposed to traditional musical comedy are going to think of it. I, I don't think that really matters because the audience for Town is there. We know it. It's selling out. You can't get tickets. I think the point of the performance <coughs> is to show the artistry involved in the show and why it was doing so well and why it was winning all the awards it was and for me the the number did that i have a major theory of why they did that song which is that they've been trying to do different songs it looks like on every talk show and everything that they go on and this is a number with those lamps that i mean obviously is a huge part of why they won lighting design that they could never do in like a talk show environment they could never bring that True. anywhere other than radio city and i think it seems to me that they are actually quite passionate about 
giving access to the show to people outside of New York. They're very mindful that it's hard to get a ticket. And so it's a chance to showcase something from the show that otherwise would be hard to share. Um, and like a really entrancing set bit. I know that like if 14, 15 year old me had been sat at home watching the Tonys in North Carolina, I would have been entranced and I probably would have immediately gone and looked up the soundtrack of it just because it's something so different from what we typically see on Broadway. Right, because even if you didn't quite get it, if you still enjoyed the kind of essence of it, then you're going to go, well, I need to find out more, which is like what the Tony yeah. should be about. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Beetlejuice seemed to show off part of this crazy set, but not all of it. And it just sort of, I think, felt somewhere awkwardly in the middle. I love the Beetlejuice performance, <laughs> particularly in that they changed the lyrics for the Tonys. Like when yes. he pointed at Adam Driver and said, hey, Adam Driver, you killed Han Solo. I <laughs> lost it. Bad. Like. I thought oh, that it was yeah, so great that they managed to showcase the whole cast, but really got to show you, like, Alex Brightman doing his, like, manic thing. So great. You described him really great last night, Nicole. You said he was the Jack Black of Broadway. He is the Jack Black of Broadway, down to, you know, doing School of Rock. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a really apt comparison because, you know, Jack Black is obviously known for what he does, and you either, you know, get on board with, you know, that type of energy, or you, you're like, okay, I, I see what you're doing, I appreciate it, but, you know, do it away from me. That was a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, it was like probably my number three favorite performance of the night after Hades Town in Oklahoma. Yeah, I had so much fun with that. I had been like not really interested in the Beetlejuice musical, just as like I'm a fan of the movie and I was just like, the reviews and all the things weren't fantastic that I was kind of just like, eh, like I'm not going to gravitate to listen to it. But then this performance made me like, like, I was having fun, and I was, like, amused by it. So I was, like, it seemed like my type of humor and my type of theater. So I, I think I'll check it out now. My mother yeah. texted me in all caps, oh, my God, that was so fun. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> I mean, really, that number, the whole Being Dead thing, is the opening number of the show. And when I saw it, I mean, maybe, like, five seconds into that number i was like okay i am fully on board with this i love what they're doing Same. this is gonna be good and i ended up having the most fun with that show yeah and i went in like not a big fan of the movie didn't really have high expectations at all i actually was like kind of there as moral support for a friend who really loves Alex Brightman. Um, and then I was so blown away by it. And I felt that they really, I think of all the shows on the telecast, other than maybe the prom, they did the best job at giving you a really good idea of what seeing the show is like. Yep. Yeah. That's the vibe I got from it too, because I, I enjoyed it, but I, I did find it a little bit tiring like literally just kind of like winded me because there was so oh, much yeah. going on but i mean also if that's what you're looking for in a musical then perfect you know exactly where to put your money i, I will say i don't think that the camera work yes for the beetlejuice number was very good i think that didn't help i think they didn't serve it well with what yeah. they're doing with those cameras agreed uh, going back to the first performance of the evening, we had Ain't Too Proud. And I think those guys are so energetic, so cool, and do such a great job embodying those characters. What I didn't like about it, and maybe this is just because it was at Radio City and not over at, uh, uh, what theater is it at? Uh, 
Uh, the uh, the Imperial. The Imperial. Yeah, Imperial. Yes, I was going to say wherever the Great Comet was. Rip Great Comet. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, maybe it's because it wasn't at the Imperial, but they had like these, I guess they were LED projections in the back, and it, it just looked sort of cheap. From what I understand, that's kind of what the set is, though. Um, just from like what I've seen from videos, but um, maybe it, maybe it's just a watered-down version of that. Maybe. I mean, not that it yeah. matters, because they did such a terrific job and in such movement and energy and dancing in a way that I never could or would even attempt. Uh, <laughs> it was just like really neat to see them. And look, it's a jukebox musical. You're either going to go if you like the band, and if you don't, then you're going to stay away from it. But Yeah, I had, I had fun with it, but I think it was really helped by being the first number of the night, because they got to kick the show off with a high energy number and then just yeah. kind of not be compared to something that had come before already. As someone who yeah. recently lived in London, I was like, oh, it's Motown the Musical. Oh, no, wait, it's not. Like, it. I was a little bit bored, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think that from everything I've heard from people who've seen the show, I think that the show is better than what we got to see. But it felt to me just very kind of standard, run-of-the-mill jukebox musical performance. Right, because um, the yeah. same thing could be said of Jersey Boys. Like, none Precisely. of their live performances are great, but when you see the mm. shows as a whole, I mean, I'm speaking personally, but it kind of just really works better than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, speaking of uh, jukebox musicals, of course, we have The Share Show with that great, great Stephanie J. Block. Oh, yes. Now, <laughs> the show itself, I, I like Share. Cher is Cher. Everyone loves Cher. Actress, performer, whatever she is. She's just, you know, a total icon in herself. But, I mean, is the show different from what we saw here, or was this just like a quick little thing? This is probably the most difficult show to <laughs> capture in one number, <laughs> honestly. This show is a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, it is. They look it, like a Chippendales routine. It, it's very difficult to uh, describe like to boil down to its essence, but it's basically a combination uh, variety show slash concert that is being narrated by Cher at three different ages. Right. It's also like a memory piece seemingly. Yeah. It seems it, very, very it, high concept. <laughs> it does like very interesting things with the jukebox bio musical like it takes a lot more risks than ain't too proud or jersey boys or beautiful or things like that like Like they perform a song from burlesque at sunny's funeral i understand not at sunny's funeral but she sings that after sunny's funeral when she's like very when she's at her lowest point she sings uh you haven't seen the last of me but the point is they perform it before 2010 yeah, they it doesn't it doesn't there is not necessarily they don't adhere to the chronology of the songs that they okay. use in the show. Right. So well, the concept is nonlinear, right? So yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Knowing that it isn't like uh, beautiful, the Carol King musical, where it's like this is a biography of her life, everything you have here is what happened and in order. This is like, you know, going in a bit of a more creative direction from the sound of it. Yeah. So if 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 uh Beautiful is, let's say, Bohemian um, Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, sure. Quality side. Uh, this seems more like I'm not there. <laughs> the okay. Honestly, yeah. I think you can draw a comparison between this and Rocket Man in many ways, and that like it's kind right. of a unique setup. Mm-hmm. 
also like not correct with the chronology of songs. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I thought the performance was great. I thought we got to showcase Stephanie. It's really fun. It's really camp. It's everything that you want from either the share show or an actual share performance. <laughs> like it very much feel, felt like, oh, I'm getting to see a snippet of a share concert. And all the Bob Mackie costumes. Right. Oh, yeah, oh, I had a blast with this. Yeah, I was telling was Dan event. Nicole how much I now want to see the share the share show. You will so, come out feeling that. like a goddess warrior. Uh, <laughs> it it seemed like a good uh, description of it, the show it was selling because if that number worked for you, I'm sure it's like that and more in the actual show. And if it didn't, yes. then you probably were never going to like it in the first yes. place. True. Probably, yeah. I, I like Cher as Loretta from Moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, from uh, Silkwood. So everyone has their favorite version of Cher. And that's the great thing about her. She's lived, just like Elaine May, many lives over many decades and has many stories to tell. And this is just a portion of who this amazing woman is. I mean, I do think that anyone who like loves Cher as an artist and has, you know, likes to go to Cher concerts and anything like that will have a really good time at this show. Right, because part of her appeal is her variety and how she's worn so many different hats throughout her career, literally, I mean, Bob, Mac- Bob Mackie. But um, yeah. so if that's what you <laughs> like about her, then this is probably a good distillation of that, uh, that, that, that quality. And she herself has been so involved with this show that you know that like yeah. this really is the vision of herself that she wants people to have. Which is like kind of like a problem with the show. Like there's not really... <laughs> there's she is presented as like you know there's nothing everything that is like anything bad that happened to her life is kind of not entirely her fault it's other people like she comes out of its mind like a rose which i think works so because it is done like as a memory play of sorts it, yeah, so like share herself is like yeah there's nothing was ever my fault like <laughs> which works because it's share herself telling you that right all right, and the final two performances from shows, we have uh, Choir Boy, which is the rare play to have a little appearance on the Tony telecast. They're weird since the play closed months ago, so I don't know why they chose to do this. But not that I didn't enjoy watching I'm it. assuming to showcase the fact like, like that it was nominated for things that were not traditional... I, I don't know. It also seems like a show that high schools could do easily. So this seems like a good way to be like, hey, here's an option for you. Very yeah. liberal high schools. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, having seen it, I really loved that it got to do its performance because it was like one of the most special things, I think, of this season. And so that cool. it's so rare to get a queer black story on Broadway. Um, and so cool to see Step featured on Broadway. I know Dan and I were talking last night. We both went to colleges <laughs> we in the South. Out. Um, both of <laughs> yeah, our colleges I had. What this was. You had to explain this to us. Nicole. Yeah. So Step is a um, kind of traditional dance style of the uh, black community. Obviously, like, I don't know all the facts here, but at my school, the uh, black frats and sororities had step teams. They would do performances Same. throughout the year. Um, we even had a big fundraiser where they, like, someone from each of them would come and teach the sorority girls and all the, you know, normal Panhellenic sororities a step routine and they would do them for charity. And it's like a big part of that community um, and a really cool, like, style of music and, and dance. Um, so I, it just felt very culturally significant to me to see that represented. On the Tonys. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it was, was nice to see. Like, I literally thought it was something that was just invented for the show, to be honest. Like, I was being a smartass in the group chat. I'm like, Dan said, oh, it brought back memories of college. And I was like, oh, yes, I too remember uh, stomping and clapping in place. <laughs> like, I did not know this was like a real thing that happened. It really quiet, is. Quiet. Yeah. Hashtag the South. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, thought the performance was so great. I absolutely loved seeing it. And we got to see Jeremy Pope for the second time that yes. night. Yep. And He's oh my god, in both Boy, times. Uh, <laughs> uh, he can do whatever he wants to me with that voice. <laughs> Final performance from a musical of the night. And we won't spend too much time on this one because I know we're a house. I'm not even to say house divided. I it's not the final theater. Yeah, no, we got it, the prom it, in Oklahoma. Yeah, we, we touched them during. No, we uh, no, we not yes, properly. We, did. We, oh, we could dive back in, but we did talk about yeah. Brooks and him singing. Yeah, a little. I just have to say the prom's um, energy was actually scaring my entire viewing party. It was. <laughs> I was worried tweet, for their Cody. joints. Like, how much coke are they on? Like, I'm sorry, but like, it really <laughs> seemed. I found it very fun to watch, but I was like, what kind of Molly-induced high school is this? As my friends and I who saw the prom together said, how you can tell it's a Casey Nicola choreographed show. The kids at prom are all wearing flats because there's no way they could do that dance in heels. And short dresses. <laughs> Truly. <Yep. laughs> Gotta be able to dance. I love that the, what they did for the prom. I thought that number was so, like, I, I just, I cried at the end. Like, I love that show so much. Yeah, I really want to see the prom, and I think that I think that one will probably be a little bit easier to get to than the, some of the, the big winners of the night. Even if I'm sad that it didn't win things. Yeah. All right, it's and did so you want to touch good. on Oklahoma really quickly? I know Nicole Allie Stroker for the win. Like, ugh. it was beautiful to see her showcased. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then yeah. the fact that, like, you got to have the whole cast there doing that Oklahoma number, which is so iconic, but you got to see, like, Damon playing the guitar, which he does throughout the piece. Like, it was just, I thought that was so nice. The I chaps. do think, oh, God, the chaps. The I'm going to see him from the front row. Um, uh, where did this guy come from? I feel like he just popped up out of nowhere. And it's he like, was in Hades Town. He was in Hades Town off Broadway. Okay, yep. so it all comes full circle with it. Yeah, back when um, Amber Gray was uh, involved in Oklahoma, so there's a lot of full circle happening. <laughs> yeah, in its original, this this Oklahoma's been in the works for quite a while and was at St. Anne's Warehouse out in Brooklyn, and now was uh, here. But I just I love that we got to see everyone because I did think there were people in this cast who were so phenomenal and obviously like didn't get in for that nomination. Like having seen it now, I wish that Patrick uh, Vale had gotten in for his portrayal of Judd, but. Um, I, I just thought it was a really lovely piece, even if, to be fair, I think, like, the show is much edgier than what we saw. <laughs> sure, yeah. And it was maybe a little bit tame, uh, so hopefully, like, not too many grandparents buy tickets, thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be me now, Nicole. I'm finally convinced to go see it, based on my performance. I'm a little so worried, Michael. <laughs> running down 54th Street. Um, I, I gotta say, I also really appreciated that this was a another uh, it was a good kind of uh, indication that even though the orchestrations have been reduced and so is the cast, it still has that full lush golden age sound somehow. I don't know how they possibly did that with the numbers they had, but it was, I mean, like a lot of roundabout revivals have like a cello and a kazoo and they call it an orchestra. So it was nice to hear <laughs> an orchestra that was still small and newly orchestrated that still sounded like lush and gorgeous and very Rogers and Hammerstein. Final performance, and we won't uh, talk about this one too much because I know uh, 
I would say house divided, but we're not even divided evenly here. It's like four against one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tootsie. I love Tootsie the Musical based on listening to this album. Obviously, <laughs> I, think it, I think it's downright hysterical. I'm not putting it in the same realm as the producers in Hairspray, but I'd definitely say it's one of the few great films that transitions into a very successful Broadway musical. Oh, I'm not putting it in the same country. <laughs> I think it is easily the worst thing that David Yazbek has written, maybe barring Women on the Verge, which I haven't heard. Um, but of the ones that I have heard, I, 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 it's easily the the worst of them. Dan, and I have I have a question for you as the one who has seen it. I thought that that performance was incredibly subpar. Like I, I just got bored by the end of it. Is that actually representative of the show as a whole? Um, like, did they pick a good number or not? It's a good representation of that number. Uh, the, the show, I think the show is very, it's the score for me in the show is like split 50-50. The comedy songs are really great. They're, the lyrics are very funny. The music is good. They're performed really well. And the everything else to me, fell a little flat and sounds kind of generic and doesn't really stand out. The melodies are not strong. Um, So I think kind of, I think it would have been better to have done one of the comic numbers. Specifically, I think they should have done Sarah Stiles' big showcase number because that is far and away the best number. Yeah, what's going to happen? I appreciate any song that could have a Justice Scalia uh, reference. Yeah, and I, I thought I, I agree with what's going to happen is by far the best song in the show, but there yeah. was no way they were not going to not showcase it. I know. You know, and oh. none of his songs are funny. So it's like kind of stuck in a rock so and hard place. It's not that they're funny songs, but I think they're good. Like he sings, what do you do? I won't let you down. Unstoppable, which is the one they ended up doing. Yeah, I, none I, of those are comedy songs. Have done <laughs> no, but they're good songs. The one he does. It fully as Dorothy. It just reminded me of in 2017 when Groundhog Day did that really boring slow number. And I'm like, why are you not doing a comedy song? That's like the point of the show. Well, because they couldn't have done, I think, the number that they should have done, which is the one where he just keeps dying over and over again. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, like, do that one. So I think they just went with a romantic ballad to sell Groundhog Day musical. This reminded me of that, where it's like a pretty generic mid tempo. He's doing it, he's achieving his goals. End of act two number. I'm just not over the fact that it's like, and then he became a woman in his, you know, late 30s, and life was easier like i'm sorry i just can't well, get past not that that's not the point of the show i think too. a lot of people are really misunderstanding what this show is about you michael know, michael i saw it no, no that uh, is the movie exactly then the, the, the concept of what tootsie is well no michael you have to understand the that is. the show does change what the movie is like it, it updates it for the hashtag me too movement and that's a direct quote like I just, my other issue with it, Michael, to be honest, I, I don't like hate Tootsie as a concept per se, but I do think that if it was going to be done, it needed to not have all men on the creative team. And it's the that, same that, way that, I feel that, about Pretty that Woman. That's a fair point. 100%. Like, I would 100%. be as upset if Pretty Woman had gotten these nominations because I just don't think that you can, you know, put out a show and say it's about gender if you have an all cis male creative team. Uh, yeah. 110% agreed there. I, what I've seen though, and maybe this is, you know, just a result of the culture right now 
seeing people retroactively go back to this movie that's almost 40 years, but then also progressive movie at the same time going and then disliking the show, but then using it to attack this movie for no good reason. I got to say, I've only seen discourse. I mean, this is, you know, very subjective and it's just my timeline and stuff, but I've truly only seen discourse about the show itself. I really haven't seen it been like, and of course, you know, like this movie was problematic from the start. It really seems to be a criticism of the show as written in 2019 taking place in 2019. I've seen a lot of people say that they should have just left the show. If they were going to adapt it, they should have left it in the time period in which it's set. I absolutely agree with that statement. And should have kept it closer to the movie actually is what most of the discourse I'm hearing is. I honestly, it, it, it's, I mean, it, and I just don't think that the updated script works as well as the film's script. Like the film script offers, you know, concrete ways in which like he has to really sort of adapt to being a woman and how his sort of natural uh, brashness is perceived differently, but helps him. And that, that doesn't happen in the musical. So it really does sort of feel like suddenly because he's a woman, his life was easier and it's, very very strange to me so of course only listening to the album you get an idea of what the songs are not the whole story of the show so in the movie you know not to spoil a 40 year old movie but i'm gonna do it here (laughs) uh you know he goes michael dorsey goes in disguise as dorothy michaels just to get a role and then it ends up being this huge sensation brings him into stardom but then you know it, it also is his downfall you know he has to stop doing it and he loses sight of all the important things in his life until he realizes who he is as a person. Does this show then like keep him as Dorothy Michaels and then like celebrate, Oh, he did this. It's a whole scheme. It worked. And he's going to stay as this forever. No, the, the, the basic arc of the plot is the same, but the details in the show, I, do, I think don't get it as right as the details in the movie did. Okay. It played better in the movie. And I, and I think like, but, but back to like the actual performance, I don't think this was the song they should have done from the show. I, it's not a good, it's not a good song. I, it's not even the best showcase for Santino, honestly. Also, what was that hat they had on him? <laughs> the costume is. I was pretty. like, how did you make a man who looks like him yeah. look like this? Like, that was my that was my problem with the number. Outside of all the politics and social stuff with the show, and like all that aside, I thought the number was just not good. Like regardless of yeah. what the show yeah. was, I, I thought the I song agree. was pretty fairly standard and boring. The choreography was not very inspired, and those costumes were ugh. It felt like a show within a show. (laughs) When you say that, Cody, it reminds me of one of my favorite lines from the movie, which obviously you can't have with a show about Broadway since it's not soap operas anymore. But when Dorothy is like being filmed as she when she first comes to set, uh, Rita, the (laughs) woman behind the scenes, goes, "I'd like to make her a little more attractive. How far can you pull back?" And the cameraman goes, "How do you feel about about Cleveland?" Cleveland? (laughs) (laughs) Well, then they should have known better, you know, if that's from the source material. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I just yeah, yeah like I just the, the joke about the posters with the names from the, the other musicals but starting yeah, that, that joke was some of the producers and much better like come on guys yeah I just found it kind of unremarkable and like I it seems like the song just sel- didn't seem anything unique to it like it felt very generic like I don't and that nothing to it 
felt unique or interesting to me. Like I didn't feel grabbed by this number. How David Yasbeck went from doing the band's visit to this, I will never know. The the gap in quality is so wide. Also just the gap in genre. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, it's, it's much, it's definitely closer to his every, like, I mean, the band's visit is absolutely the outlier in his. Yeah, um, it's very yeah. true. So it makes sense on paper, but I mean, just like, yeah, I agree. The but quality though, is like, a severe I, drop. I prefer the full Monty score to this by a lot. <laughs> to bring it back, you ask how David Yesbeck goes from band's visit to Tootsie, you know, jumping around with genres. Let it be known, Sidney Pollock, director of Tootsie, you know what his follow-up to Tootsie was? Out of Africa. I was going to say out of Africa. Yeah. So the the people who work with Tootsie apparently know range. (laughs) Uh, And then that was all with the performances from musicals. But of course, we got a vocal performance toward the end of the night from Cynthia Erivo. Oh, I could listen to her sing anything forever. It felt like a weird choice of song. I mean, I was here for yeah. it, yeah. but I was yeah, like, I why the hell did you pick this? Can you feel love tonight? <laughs> for some reason, yes. they like started with all the um, the stuff about Marin and all the things. And I was like, are they going to do something from Ragtime? I like, thought I the same like, thing. Yeah. The problem is there's not a lot you can do from that show out of context. <laughs> I wanted like Wheels of a Dream or something. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, Wheels of a Dream would have been nice. Because that's about like Cr- legacy. Crime True. of the century. <laughs> I mean, you know I'd be here for it. What a game, and it was a shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back to before. I mean, back to before, like, kind of would have worked. It's about... Uh, kind wait, of... can you imagine she got up there and started singing Harry Houdini, Master Escapist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. God. Yeah, the Marin, the Marin moment was... Really nice, especially because I noticed that Brian Stokes Mitchell had uh, sunflowers in his lapel, and that was yes. kind of a, a symbol for um, Marin when she was going through her illness, I, I, if I recall. Yeah, it was it was so nice to see him. You know, he's always a welcome Broadway presence, but uh-huh. to have him, you know, eulogizing Marin, who he did, Kiss Me Kate with, and Ragtime, you know, just a special bond there. Uh Anything else? Those were all the performances. We obviously went through the winners. Anything else about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards before we put it in the books of history? I think Ryan Murphy finally has his second season of Feud. (laughs) Laura Linney and Audra McDonald. (laughs) That was a bit that did not start well, but ended on as high a note as it did so well. I just like how committed they were. Like, they were like, yeah, we're doing this. Oh, Audra had earrings out. She taking them out. And Laura Linney just sitting there, yeah, that was me. Oh, and there was like a good camera pan zoom into her face that I was just like, this is great. Oh, yeah. That's a gif. That's Drama. a gif right there. Yeah, that, that was worth whatever came before it. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, all the all the bits that I, I successfully or not, what I appreciate about the Tonys, and this kind of is part of it, is that everybody there is excited to be there. And they're excited for everybody else to be there. And they're, for the most part, excited for whatever wins because it's like they're like one shining night of the ball. Whereas most like, I mean, I, you know, obviously I love the Oscars, but I, I said this in the group chat, but every year the conversation around the Oscars is like, wow, Joaquin Phoenix deigned to appear. How wonderful of him. And at the Tonys, that's not the case. I think the Tonys are the purest of the televised award oh, shows. Absolutely. Because everybody is just so happy for everyone. And like the thing that I liked about all these little bits that we got was that I think that James Corden is a really good host and that he always knows like 
how far he can go in being funny without ever crossing a line into being offensive or uncomfortable. Um, and it was so great to see everyone like playing along and to get to see some people who aren't nominated this year, um, but are so beloved, like Audrey McDonald and Laura Linney and Kristen Chenoweth and Ben Platt. Like, I thought it was great. I Did you guys see, so apparently in the commercial breaks, James Cronin was having everyone do karaoke. Yes, I oh did see God. this. Juicy oh, Billy God. Porter doing Everything's Coming Up Rose. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Find it right oh, away, guys, if you haven't. My God. Billy Porter will now star in every musical revival, please. Uh, speaking of Ben Platt and Audrey McDonald, it was nice to see them presenting the two big acting awards at the end of the night, because I think they've sort of uh, Audra, obviously, but has become like the queen of Broadway in a way. But Ben Platt, in the two years since he's won, has developed such a following. And, you know, to see him present that big of an award, it really is a testament to, you know, the star that he's become. I will say, like, I would sort of prefer if they followed the Oscars lead and had the winners from previous year, like the previous year, give the award, which they do sometimes, but not always. Um, if I think they're big enough stars. Tradition, they I also think it's hard to track them down sometimes, it, probably. Uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. But I think Ben Platt is like but, representative of uh, yeah. who the young viewers at home respond to. Not just young viewers, but people who like no Broadway stars. Ben Platt obviously is one now. I also think it was re- there was something really beautiful about Josh Groban being up there to give Hadestown <laughs> its award, like because yeah. he obviously was in Great Comet with Rachel Chapkin, and like it just felt like even more justice. <laughs> it really did. It really did. Anything else, uh, Casey, Cody? Um, no, I think I said all I got to say. Yeah, I enjoyed it this year. Um, liked the winners for the most part. I had a good time watching it. That's all I can about ask for the Tony Awards. It's just like so much fun. Again, sorry to repeat myself, but to watch a community come together for one night a year and like, you know, they're not the cool kids in the lunchroom, but they're like definitely the most fun. And I I, I love watching the Tonys every year, possibly more than any other award show. Yeah, it's always yeah. fun. And I think cause it's just like, it's, it, like I, I said off air in our chat that like it just reminds me be feeling very nostalgic of like being in like middle and high school watching yeah. the Tonys and like usually then it was like I only heard about a lot of these musicals like right when the nominations came out and just getting the actual opportunity to see them on TV and like being that theater nerd and it was always just like oh fun like it was all just fun and I like that mm-hmm. and yeah there was nothing last night where I was like ugh or like that angry or disappointed anything it was just like nice um i just want to say two quick things one is a massive thank you to the rest of this team and for you know we had a group chat going during it and it's so great to like watch this with a community of our own and also thank you to everyone who like sent us predictions of their own and talked to us about ours and has been on this journey and also last night just felt like such a special night in terms of like it just felt really inspirational. You know, we got to see the first uh, person in a wheelchair nominating and, and win a Tony Award. And we got to see women pick up awards for directing and writing. And we got to see, you know, beautiful performances and wins from people of color. And it just felt like such a good sign that Broadway is going in the right direction um, without losing, you know, what it is that makes it Broadway. And I, I just felt really inclusive. And obviously we've got a ways to go still, but it made me feel really good to be part of the Broadway community. And I think that's a fantastic note to end it on. You know, look at what we had at the ceremony 
where we could do better, where we could go forward, but recognizing why we tune in every year to this event. So does that do it? I think so. Yeah. That does until it. next year. <laughs> yeah, until next year. Uh, well, thank you, listeners, for joining us on this special Tony Awards podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode where I don't know what we're going to talk about. We're done with the Tony, so we could talk about maybe another play, maybe another musical, maybe a theme. Uh, We don't know what we're going to be doing yet, but it's going to happen. Let us know what you want to hear. Yes. Yeah, stay tuned for that. It's going to be exciting. But in the meantime, Nicole, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? I am at Nicole Ackman 16 and also keep a lookout for the blog post going up on nextbestpicture.com about the Tonys. Dan? You can follow me on Twitter at DancingDanOnFilm. Casey? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. And Cody? You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, absolutely everywhere at CodyMonster91. And for my other big interest, if you like horror movies and musicals as much as I do, listen to my <laughs> horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. You can find us at Halloweeners Pod. Do you have a Beetlejuice episode? Not yet, but it is on the list. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, did, we did the original Silent Phantom of the Opera a few weeks ago. Oh, hell counts. yeah. On. <laughs> Once again, I'm Michael Schwartz. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, CastBox, and Acast. Be sure to check out everything going on in Next Best Picture, and please consider supporting our Patreon site, where you can receive tons of great theater content outside of just Tony season. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy uh, all of our Tony recaps that we just provided you over these last couple episodes enjoy watching the clips and all that they have on youtube now and we will see you all next time